we have been gathering together for our Sabbath. We've had a combined service, and each week we've had different individuals share their story as our speaking sermon portion. This morning, we have none other than Keith Hemmings. Um, I remember Keith as one of the first few people I met when I started attending Bethel as a college student. Um, I was coming in for the Sunday school hour, and he was just leaving the early service, and he crushed my hand. Keith has a very strong grip. Um, Keith is also a man after God's heart. And so I would encourage you um, to open your hearts, open your minds as we hear how God has and is currently working through our brother Keith's life. Keith Hemmings. When Pastor Matt asked me to tell my story in 15 minutes, I said, it's going to be tough trying to cram 67 years into such a short period of time, but I'll give it a try. I grew up in a town called East Rockaway on the south shore of Long Island. Uh, it, it's exactly one mile by one mile, and a little less than 15,000 people live there. It was kind of referred to as the armpit of Long Island. Jan and I both attended the same church. First Church of the Nazarene. She was the little princess. I was kind of trying out for court jester, but never quite got there. <laughs> we lived on the same block as the church. My parents were what you would call dyed in the wool Nazarenes. We attended every service. But living in East Rockway was a different experience, I think, than anybody else has ever had in, in that whole area of New York. Now, Jan didn't live in East Rockway. She lived a few towns over in Oceanside, which was a little more upscale. East Rockway, its fame was, because of all the inlets and waterways, it, its claim to fame was when prohibition was in, in existence. There was a lot of rum running and bootlegging going on. So that's how it really, really got to be any kind of a face on the map, so to speak. Uh, we had a set of tracks. You always hear that expression, the wrong side of the tracks. Well, the Long Island Railroad divided East Rockway right in half, and there was the wrong side of the tracks. That was the waterfront side. It was very rough, a lot of gin mills, a lot of dives, what we used to call buckets of blood in those days. Uh, and, and they also had the sewer plant down there for the county. So that's how much the rest of Long Island thought about East Rockway. Well, let's stick a sewer plant down there. We used to call it the candy factory. And in high school, we had fraternities. Now, this is high school, not college. I know you've been hearing probably a lot about the hazing incidents that are going on in different colleges, but this is in high school. And they were basically gangs, but they were dressed up as fraternities. You had a jacket with the Greek letters on the back. Mine was Alpha, Beta, Delta. Most of the guys in the, in the fraternity had no idea what those letters meant, or even if they were Greek, they couldn't tell you. But it was kind of like a putting lipstick on a pig, so to speak. And you would be asked to pledge for a fraternity in your sophomore year at high school. Each member would get you for a day, and usually you would have to do some kind of chores around his house, like raking his yard and stuff. And then they would make you do silly stuff and stupid stuff and, you know, go up to nice-looking girls and act like a chicken or a dog or something like, you know, those kind of things. And then it would culminate in a hell night. And hell night was 
all the brothers would get together and they would have all the pledges and you would get paddled. They had a paddle about this big made out of metal from the metal shop. And they would paddle you and for every demerit you got for not obeying one of the, the brothers, you would get an extra paddle. And then they would do the culmination of Hell Knight. One guy, one, one of the guys was pledging with me, they took all his clothes off, they put uh, motor grease all over him and covered him in feathers and dropped him at the George Washington Bridge. With me, they took me up to the grot in Connecticut, made me dress like a girl, and threw me in the reservoir. And then other guys got spread out all over the city, Times Square, or whatever. You, you just never knew where you are gonna wind up. And then you had to get back before dawn. That was, the, that was the final test. And the president of the fraternity, I mean, again, this is, it's gonna be hard to believe. He was 19 years old, going on 20, probably still in high school. And those days you could stay in high school till you're 21. We always used to kid him and say, Walt, you got six years of math. Unfortunately, it's all elementary algebra. You just kept taking the same course over and over again for six years. We always said he was staying in, in high school to stay out of the draft. But he lived in that, what we'd call the gritty part of town, on the waterfront. His mother was long gone. Nobody knew what happened to her father. His father was an alcoholic. He had a cellar, and most of the homes down in that area would have these raised up houses because of the flooding situation. So they painted the cellar, the, all the walls and the ceiling black, put purple lights in. Every Friday and Saturday night would have a party with the fraternity. The guys had to pay two bucks. Walt, because he was of age, would go down and get a couple of kegs of beer, and the girls could come for free. This is what I experienced in high school. So then eventually, I got out of high school and decided I was going to go to ENC. So I came to ENC and <clears throat> I was sitting in my room my freshman year and a couple of upperclassmen came in and they said, we want you to come out and put this little beanie on and run around the campus for freshman initiation. And I just looked at them and I said, nah, I don't think so. I think I probably told them to go pound sand or fry ice, one of the two. But at that point, I realized that my experience growing up was going to be a lot different than people from Ohio, Maine, Pennsylvania, upstate New York, whatever. And then when I was in college, it was the late 60s. So we had free love. We had Dr. Timothy Leary saying, turn on, tune in, and drop out. That was the mantra of the day. 60s were a very turbulent time. There was all kinds of things going on. Late 60s, I should say. So by the time I had left ENC, I had turned my back completely on church and God and got on with my life. And how I made a connection with Bethel was in the early 80s, my dad died of a massive heart attack. My mother came down with breast cancer at the same time. And she was living in New York alone. Everybody else, all the other siblings had moved away. She didn't want to be by herself anymore after two years of chemotherapy, which I agree, because I was spending all my time driving down there, trying to take care of her, using my vacations, everything, every, every weekend I could do. So we decided we'd get a two-family house, and she could live in the first floor, and I would live in the second floor. Worked out great, because she, she wanted to go to church. So first, I took her to South Weymouth, and because the pastor there at the time was a pastor that had pastored the church in East Rockaway. But then after a while, it was getting too much for her. She got older, so she didn't want to go to the college church because she thought there was too many people. So she said, 
is there anywhere else I could go? And I said, well, because I didn't want to drive her. I wasn't going to church at the time. I didn't believe in church. I didn't believe in God. So I said, there's another church called Bethel. I said, why don't I take you there? Took her there, taught her how to get down here. She started coming here until she finally the cancer came back and, and she passed away. And the pastor at that time, Gary Jones, did the funeral. He was a great guy. <clears throat> Probably like two and a half years after my mom died, my life was in crisis. I didn't know what to do. I was standing on that precipice and it was crumbling below me. If you've been there, you know what I'm talking about. I reached out and I called Gary. I had nobody else, I didn't know who to call. And Gary, at the time, I hadn't talked to him probably in two years, two and a half years probably. He came right away. Even though that night, he was involved in a big deal at ENC for the Alumni Association. He was working towards being the president of the association. He had a big important meeting. He put that off and came and rescued me. Could I have that first image? I never thought my life would be like the parable of the lost sheep. Only, could I have the second one? That's a little more like it, a black sheep. And usually there's a flock somewhere in the distance. And I wasn't even of his flock, but he came that night and he rescued me. And I was internally grateful. I don't know what I would have done if he said no. And that's when I came back to Bethel. And I came back to God in church. And it's been 20 years. And when I first came back to Bethel, if somebody had told me 20 years ago that I would be married to a Nazarene minister, I would have said, sure, when the Pats win the Super Bowl. Well, they did, and we got married that spring. You just never know how things are going to turn out. <clears throat> but Bethel has been a special place for me. And we've gone through a lot of changes in 20 years, a lot of changes. There's probably only a half a dozen people left here that were here when I originally came back. And, and that's fine, the metamorphosis is not complete, and it may never be complete. But if, if we ever lose our identity, I, I always think of our identities when I go to Planet Fitness in the morning and I'm working out on the, on the treadmill, and I look up on the, the wall and it says, judgment-free zone. And I always get a kick out of that because I say, long before that banner was up there, long before there was a Planet Fitness, there was a judgment-free zone here at Bethel. And that's what saved me. Because when I came back, there wasn't any judging involved. And that's what I expected. And if we, we just can never lose that identity as we go along through all these changes. Because if we ever do, then the Bethel that I have come to love will no longer exist. And that would be a real sin. May God always bless this church we call Bethel. Thank you.